the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Uh, we uh, we gather like this every weekend and always very pleased when you join us here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, once again, Alan Dempsey does our engineering, and uh, Andrew Herdliska uh, does the producing of the show. Uh, Ruth Tucker joins me in this first segment from Grand Rapids, Michigan, professor of mission studies and church history, and the author of Katie Luther. That's what we're going to be talking about, and the first lady of the Reformation. Ruth, wonderful of you to join me. How you doing? Thank you so much. I'm doing well, and I love to talk about Katie Luther. Why? Well, she was such an unusual woman. We hear of Reformation wives, whether it's Idolette Calvin or uh, the wife of uh, Melanchthon or various other women, but Katie really stands out as a very strong woman in her own right. In fact, she crossed gender boundaries at that time and became a businesswoman, which few women did. She owned, uh, she bought farms, she hired the workmen, she did all kinds of things that are typically, even today, considered men's work. Ruth, uh, Chapter 1 is called uh, Jesus Cage, Incarceration in a Cloister. Wow, what does all that mean? Well, that certainly means that uh, she was put in a cloister, not a decision made as a young adult. I just read in the Grand Rapids Press, where I come from, um, that a woman who had been in the secular world is going through the process of becoming a nun. Mm. And most women who become nuns decide in their teenage years or young adult years. Katie was placed in a convent at the age of five by her widowed father, who had just gotten married, and so he'd added a number of children to his home. He needed to get rid of a child, so he paid a very nominal fee to let her go into the convent. Can you imagine that? A five-year-old girl Mm. who has just lost her own mother. Her mother died after having several children, and then she is placed in a convent. She doesn't know this, but the intention is she'll be in the convent for life. And then you move to this topic. Here I stand, religious revolution in Germany. Fill us in on that one, please, Ruth. Well, that is about Martin Luther. And as I set up the book, they kind of are uh, running parallel lives. It's mainly about Katie, but I want to set the people up. Katie would not be important at all if it weren't for Martin Luther. Mm -hmm. And uh, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg 500 years ago this coming October 31st, mm-hmm. and uh, that set off 
the Reformation. And the Here I Stand is when he was put on trial before the Diet of Worms, and Here I Stand, he responded, I cannot do otherwise. And he is standing by the Word of God, not by the Catholic doctrines, especially as they related to indulgences. That's to purchase an indulgence so you can keep people thousands of years out of purgatory. So the Reformation is about Martin Luther, but Katie, at that time, is just getting into uh, the convent. Now we move to this interesting topic, a wagon load of Vestal Virgins escaping the convent. Well, that quote comes from somebody from Wittenberg, but let's get back into the convent. Katie had been in the convent uh, for a time, and then she was transferred to another convent where she took her vows to become a nun. And keep in mind, she really didn't have a choice along the way at all. How old would she be? Her made the decision to Mm -hmm. uh, transfer to the second convent. She is there, and she is probably not the person who comes up with the idea to escape. But there are 12 nuns who prepare to escape the convent. Keep in mind, they have taken a vow of silence. It is a capital crime to take nuns out of a convent, but they work this out as the conspiracy of the 16th century. It's an amazing plan, and I don't credit Katie uh, for it, but she was one of the nuns who got out and came to Wittenberg, and there they are waiting for husbands or families to pick them up. Katie ended up being the last nun without anyone, any family member, or to find a husband. And so that's where we leave her before she ends up marrying Martin Luther. How old would she be at this point, Ruth? She is uh, 20, let's see, uh, 23. So she was in that... an adult. She was in the convent then for 18 years, so yes. from age five to in her 20s. Yes. Well, by the way, what what did that time in the convent do for her? What what what, what well, effect did it that gives have? Her a very uh, good schedule and sets up a pattern of work for her for the rest of her life. She was later called uh, the morning star because she got up so early before the sunrise, but that, that happened in the convent. But she also got educated, so she could read Latin, and uh, she, she certainly knew the Catholic Church and its doctrines. She knew some of the Bible. She knew the prayers of the Catholic Church, but mainly she learned how to work very hard and run a household. It's a household of nuns, but uh, anyone who married a nun could imagine they got a wife much better prepared for a household than somebody who might have simply grown up and married very young and only learned from her own mother. Ruth Tucker is our guest. We're talking about her book, Katie Luther. Zondervan is the publisher. Uh, now, uh, a bitter living, daily life in old Wittenberg. Fill us in. What's happening now? Well, what's happening, not entirely with Katie, but with all people around, men and women, life is very rough and life is very bad. When we think of of uh, uh, toilets and running water or anything like that, that would not be uh, available. 
also an inn. If somebody were traveling and staying at an inn, I have a wonderful quote on that, how what you do, you come up and you shout and shout from outside to get the innkeeper's attention. Finally, he'll come out. You have to tie up your own horses. And finally, you come in for the night, but it's usually one large room, and you've got to find a spot among all these people lying on the floor. Now, why wouldn't you just stay out in the countryside instead of the inn? Because there were so many bandits and people to rob you. So that is the bitter living in old Wittenberg, especially for widows or somebody who's never married. So Katie faced a very bitter living when she came to Wittenberg. Pigtails on the pillow. And now uh, you write, Ruth, about uh, marriage to Martin Luther. Before we get to the marriage, we'll, we'll get to the romance, the incredible romance of Katie. And it's not with Martin Luther. Really? She is talking sweet nothings with this other young man. He's a student at the University of Wittenberg. Martin Luther is his teacher, and somehow they meet, and they talk, and she understands it is an engagement. But then Jerome goes home to his family. This is about 50, 60 miles away, and his parents are livid. How could he possibly consider marrying a runaway nun who has no estate, no money, nothing at all? And they say no, and Katie keeps writing to him, but he doesn't write back. He's a real cad. He he should have written back and said, I'm terribly sorry, my darling Katie. I cannot go through with this marriage. I, I'm so very sorry. But he doesn't. He doesn't write to her at all. So she is heartbroken. Well, she still has no husband. Luther is in charge of marrying off the wives. Finally, she suggests to Luther that uh, she marry either another reformer who lived in uh, Wittenberg or Luther himself. The other guy says, no, she's way too domineering. I wouldn't have her for a wife. So Luther decides he will marry her. It's no romance at all, but they get married, and she turns out to be this incredibly wonderful wife, and love does follow. He adores his Katie, and she him. My guest, Ruth Tucker. More with Ruth. Right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, it's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Back in 1993, MediShare was known as the best kept secret in healthcare, but not anymore. Today, there are hundreds of thousands of Americans who've discovered what us long-timers have known since the beginning. MediShare is affordable health care that really works. The great thing is we're not an insurance company. We're a nonprofit community. Hundreds of thousands of honest, hardworking people who agree to share each other's medical bills. Every share goes to help a fellow member. And when we say affordable, we mean it's common for our members to save upwards of $500 a month. Best of all, MediShare is always open. You can join anytime. So how about now? Isn't it time you joined MediShare? Call 844-41-BIBLE to find out how much you can save on your health care. MediShare, now available in Montana. Call 844-41-BIBLE. That's 844-41-BIBLE. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. 
Do You Want Your Family Designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your hosts, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Kevin Picorni. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design right here, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. The heat is on, but you've been putting off updating your AC. Well, the wait is over. Cool off now with another great, amazing radio deal. Only at AmazingRadioDeals.com. Yep, summer in Florida is going to be hot, but this deal is even hotter. With central air at half price. Just go to AmazingRadioDeals.com for all the details on half price cooling from the area's best AC companies. Real half price deals. No catch? No kidding. But don't wait. These complete AC home packages with installation will go fast. Just go to AmazingRadioDeals.com and make sure you tell a friend. Half price cooling. Available only at AmazingRadioDeals.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Ruth Tucker is with us from Grand Rapids, Michigan. We're talking about her new book that she is describing, oh, just beautifully here, called uh, Katie Luther. Okay, now, Ruth, neither wood nor stone, a Reformation husband. What, what what what's that mean? Well, uh, Martin Luther, uh, that's a quote from him. That's why he married Katie. He has desires himself, and he had always said he would not take a wife because he expected to be killed, and he would just turn her into an immediate widow. But he decides to uh, marry, and their love life is uh, wonderful. They have a number of children, but you know he's not the catch of all times. When she married him, he admitted that he had not changed the bedding on his straw bed for over a year, and it smelled of terrible sweat. Uh, He owned the Black Cloister, which is a large uh, monastery that he wanted to get rid of and get into a regular house in Wittenberg. She said no way, because she wanted to turn that into a Holiday Inn uh, hmm. for people. So they they had some issues. Um, he also was very free with money, and he would have liked to have anyone stay there at no cost. She was very tight with money uh, because she knew that uh, it would be very hard to have a large family if they didn't have some funds to go along with. But um, uh, Luther is is often a very difficult man. He's neither wood nor stone, but he's very, very emotional. He had deep bouts of depression, and he's very, very sickly. So as a a husband, uh, anyone might think today, wow, the woman who gets to marry Martin Luther, what a catch he would be. But he was mentally and physically ill, and uh, he struggled with uh, uh, arguments and a bad temper and foul language. So mm. there you have the husband of Katharina von Bora, Katie Luther. From Katie, a little heathen, motherhood at the manse. Well, she starts having children, and that is so celebrated among the new Protestants. The Catholics say this child that was born is born of a demon, and Katie, or he's going to be somehow demonized because a monk and a nun who marry is a terribly controversial thing, but little Hans gets a lot of press, and keep in mind the printing press has just been 
really developed. And so that is how the Reformation uh, spreads abroad. And every word about little Hans and all the antics of this little boy and children to come uh, are spread abroad. But Katie has a very sour, sorrowful motherhood as well, because she loses uh, a, a little toddler, Elizabeth, and then later on, uh, Magdalene, her 13-year-old daughter. So she has real difficulties with that. Martin Luther does, too. He misses his little girl so terribly much, but he can spiritualize that and turn that into, I'll see them in heaven, and they have a far better life now. For Katie, it was just sheer agony. Mm. Now let's talk about Morning Star of Wittenberg at Work Before Dawn. Well, she is at work before dawn, and she is doing all kinds of things, as I kind of opened up with, that women typically did not do. She sets up the black cloister and often has between 30 and 50 people there. That includes her family and her extended family, orphans that she has brought in, and then a lot of students that come to Wittenberg or colleagues of Martin Luther who rent a room for a time. And she fights with Luther because he's trying to give out free rent and she can't afford it. So that's an issue. But she also has a farm in Wittenberg and she hires all the workers for that because it's very extensive. If you're feeding 50 people, you better do an awful lot of gardening. You better have cattle and sheep and all kinds of animals, poultry. And then that's not enough. So she buys a farm outside of Wittenberg and she buys another farm quite a ways out of Wittenberg, and sometimes she is gone for uh, as much as a week at a time, and Luther is back at home, and he is involved in changing dirty diapers. So that's an interesting story as well. Sometimes their jobs almost reverse, where she's doing what would be usually considered a man's job, and he's doing the mother's job. Now, uh, Ruth, talk to us about Hugh... H-E-W, an obedient wife out of stone, pushing gender boundaries. Well, he, he once said to a colleague, the only way to have an obedient wife is to hew her out of stone. And uh, so, and, and Luther's colleagues did not like Katie because she was a very strong woman, and they said that she ran the show. She was the one that ordered Luther around. Now, his defense was, she never writes my sermons or my books, so I have complete freedom there. But yes, she does run the Black Cloister, and she runs the farms, and she is largely in charge of the children, and partly because he is out of town quite a bit. So... Uh, we know that uh, Luther doesn't do his full share of work at all around the house, but that gives him time to do all his writing. So he lets her run things, and he, he is, adores her, saying she's more precious to me than France and Venice together. But his colleagues thought that he should keep her in line, and uh, Luther found she was more effective when she wasn't in line. Now we talk about stop worrying, let God worry, worry wart of Wittenberg. Well, that is what Luther said to her, and these are quotes uh, that a lot of the chapters are Luther quotes, and she was a worry wart, and he would say that 
uh, you know, you're not, you need to be closer to God. You would not worry. And so he's chastising her a lot for this. But keep in mind, there are so many things to worry about. And she is the ultimate mother. And she so fears that another child will be lost. She loses two children. And that's enough to worry any mother, especially when plagues and abandons and and lack of food are so prevalent in the countryside during this era of uh, in Germany. So she is a worrywart on every count, and uh, he he doesn't worry. He says, "I leave it to God, and uh, I'll let God work everything out." How many of their children survived? Four of them survived after Martin Luther died, and then lady later Katie died. Now I want you to talk about 50 Golden, G-U-L-D-E-N, Bible reading, undervalued spirituality. You're going to have to explain all that. Well, 50 Golden is a lot of money, and he offered her that much if she would read the Bible through. She never, she never did, so she didn't get the money. But, <clears throat> excuse me. but there is a lot of difference between the two of them. Luther, I said, had foul language often, and he fought with colleagues, but Luther wrote letters of, of deep spirituality. Some people might call him a God-talker because in every letter he writes to Katie, he reminds her of a biblical verse or reminds her how God is in control. He once chastised her because he said you'd be a lot more effective as a midwife if you would do more praying while you're working. And she said, we're so busy working, we don't have time. That's what you are supposed to do and the men are supposed to do when the women are doing their midwifery. And that was kind of her philosophy. She was a very secular woman. In fact, there is no evidence that Katie actually subscribed to the tenets of the Reformation. She was a Catholic nun who -hmm. became secular, and other nuns wrote about the convent and how they now believed in Reformation ideals. Katie would have been a perfect person to do that, but she never did. She never spoke about how she agreed with the tenets of the Reformation. An interesting fact that no one else has ever pointed out. And the reason we know a lot about Katie is that Martin writes a lot of letters to her. She doesn't, her letters written back were not considered important enough to save, so we have few of her writings. Hmm. So most of what you're talking about here with this book comes from letters uh, written by Martin? Yes, a lot of it comes from letters, and not ones that I have read personally. I don't read the German, but I've depended on a lot of uh, uh, sources that have been uh, trans- uh, translated. But he will write to her and say various things, and he will answer her letter to him. So we know what she had written to him, and he answers her. So we get a lot of information on her secondhand through Luther. Uh, Next topic. No words can express my heartbreak. Widowhood and final years. Oh, that was a terrible time. Uh, Luther was away when he died, 
and uh, he had just written to her that he was feeling better. She worried about him more than the children. I think she worried about him, and uh, she was she was so worried. But he wrote a letter and said, "I'll be home in a week, and I'm feeling a lot better." He did not come home. They came back to Wittenberg with the news that Luther had died. He stayed where he had died for a time until they could make a facial cast and have a funeral there. Then they had a funeral procession for more than 50 miles, every town, thousands of people coming out to greet the uh, uh, casket and to give, pay their respects to Luther. Then he gets back in Wittenberg, and she is there. She goes out to meet the procession right before it comes into Wittenberg, but it's a terrible time for her because the love of her life, the man she adores, has died. How old was Luther? Luther was 63. And at this point, she would have been how old when he died? She is, uh, let me just think, she would be in her uh, late 40s. Really? So she was young when he... Well, not necessarily by 16th century standards. Okay. But yet she was a lot better health than he was, for sure, even though she'd given birth to six children. And, and what were the remaining years of her life like? They were terrible. She was, the, the plagues had gotten worse. The uh, opposition to the Reformation had increased, so there was no hope. Even Luther, before he died, didn't even know if his Reformation would be uh, carried out. And she was not beloved by his colleagues. She was not well treated. They tried to take her rights away over her children, and then she ended up dying. She was rushing out of Wittenberg to find safety in Torgo, and the horses bolted somehow at the very end, she flew out of the wagon, landed in a cold water ditch, mm. and uh, she lasted for another three months in excruciating pain. You can imagine there were no one to set bones, there was nobody to give her pain pills, uh, so she ended her life in a terrible, terrible way. Her funeral was given by uh, Melanchthon, and what does he do? He scolds people for treating her so badly uh, her final years. So uh, he, he shames people for not treating her better, so we know how much disliked she was. Her children are surviving, and her daughter cares for her. Her surviving daughter cares for her during those final few months. Uh, were there grandchildren uh, that, that came along later? Yes, there were. Really? And so there is a heritage, and people today claim their heritage from Martin and Katie Luther. That's very, very interesting, isn't it? Oh, it's a fast. Her story is so fascinating. I wish we had more time, but this has been incredible. Now a wonderful opportunity to tell about Katie Luther. Now, Ruth, Ruth, there's one final piece of this book, uh, Brand Bora, Concluding Thoughts on uh, Kath, Katarina. Can you, can you fill us in on that very ending of your book? Well, yes. Uh, a Brand Luther sold. And there's a, there's a book written entitled Brand Luther. Brand Bora did not sell. People did not love Katie Luther at all. But without Katie Luther, she was, I argue, the most important person of the German Reformation, second only to Martin Luther himself. If you take her out of his life, it's hard to imagine the Reformation today. You can take Melanchthon out. You can take all kinds of other people out. You still 
would have the Lutheran Reformation, not with Katie out, and partly because Martin Luther did not only preach salvation by faith, but he preached a lot about the family, and Katie was the one that turned the family, his family, into such a historic model. Ruth Tucker has been our guest talking about her book, Katie Luther. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Join Richard Jordan, President of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org, 530 Sunday on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. It's long, over a thousand chapters, over 30,000 verses. No wonder so many of us have never read it cover to cover. Want to do it? Want to read the entire Bible? Start today at BibleStudyTools.com. BibleStudyTools.com includes Bible in a Year, an interactive plan for reading, learning, and understanding the Bible. Deepen your faith and impact your walk with God one day at a time. Bible in a Year, just one of the new interactive Bible study tools at BibleStudyTools.com. Are your car bills just getting higher and higher each time you take it in for service? Is every time you take your auto in for service dreaded because you feel they're selling you repairs and maintenance you just don't need? Well, upselling is the way most companies work today, to drain your pocketbook and pad their profits. So what should you do? For 41 years, the crew at Blue Book Cars Service Center have worked hard to earn your repeat business and help their customers be good stewards of their money. It's their responsibility to be honest and repair your vehicles at the best price. Their low, low service labor rate has been the same for over eight years. Their qualified staff and service techs repair vehicles, not just to replace costly parts, unless necessary. And they don't upsell anything. No one at Blue Book Service Center works on commission and never has. Come visit Blue Book Service Center. Call 407-321-0741 for an appointment. Call 407-321-0741. Find out more online at bluebookcars.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Ruth Tucker, our guest in that first half hour. Uh, Dr. Jeremy Kimball is with us, assistant professor of theological studies at Cedarville University in Ohio. Um, We're going to talk about his new book, 40 Questions About Church. Jeremy, great to visit with you. How you doing? Doing well, thanks. How you doing? Doing well, thanks to be glad, glad to be here. Are you having a nice summer in Cedarville? It has been fantastic. Yeah, it got a little hot, but not anywhere near what you guys get down there. Oh, that's good. That's good. Tell me about your new book. Yeah, forty questions about church membership and discipline, uh, coming from some thoughts that I, I had in my years of education going through and thought a lot about the doctrine of the church and the importance of membership and discipline, two ideas that aren't necessarily popular in today's church, but are really needful for the health of the church. Well, let's plow in. Uh, interesting questions. Number one, 
Why are church membership and church discipline important? Yeah, so just to even begin with that, I would define church membership as uh, a mutual commitment to overseeing and being overseen in one's discipleship. So with that, in terms of why church membership is important, the reality is we need to be overseen in our discipleship. We're called in Hebrews 3 to exhort one another day after day as long as it's called today so that we're not hardened by sin, um, sin's deceitfulness. And so with that, we need to be a people that are connected uh, in local churches to exhort one another, to care for one another, to um, be sure that we are avoiding sin and that we're called as a community to do that. And when there are deviations away from God's standards that he lays out in Scripture, that's where church discipline comes in. So it's almost like membership is the, the front door, and discipline's like the back door. So discipline is the means by which God calls the church to uh, call out an individual in ongoing, unrepentant sin, and to call them back from that to repentance. And if they don't, there's a process, maybe we'll talk about this later on, there's a process that's gone through from Matthew 18 uh, to try to call this person there. It could result in their being removed from membership. But with all that, the reality is we want to be a believer's church, a church filled with disciples of Jesus, and these are means by which we do just that. Question number two, what is a church? Yeah, uh, important question to ask, and quite simply, uh, the church is the called out ones of God, those who have been called out by the Spirit of God and have repented of their sins and turned and placed their faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. And they uh, have come to Christ in that way, and now the Church is, you can think of it in two different ways. Number one, there's what's called a universal Church, which is the Church uh, comprised of all believers throughout all of history around the globe. And then there are local Churches. So the New Testament typically refers to local Churches, and uh, those are gatherings of people in particular localities covenanting together to be members together, to uh, observe the ordinances, to have a certain kind of church governance, and uh, to preach the Word of the God to one another. We move now to question number three. What is church membership? Yeah, and again, just to say this, to be clear, this to me is a very important facet of this idea. Church membership is a mutual commitment by a church and its leadership, and an individual to oversee and be overseen in one's discipleship. And so um, with that, I want people to understand that membership is not just some kind of thing like, well, what, what perks do I get? What's in it for me? Or something like that. We want people to understand um, there is certainly benefit but also responsibility inherent in the idea of membership. And so with that, uh, that's the idea is that commitment there to oversee and be overseeing discipleship and to progress in our faith as Christians. Topic four, what is church discipline? Yeah, not one of those popular topics to talk about most often. Um, I, I define it in the book in this way, church discipline is divine authority delegated to the Church by Jesus Christ to maintain order 
through the correction of persistently sinning church members for the good of those caught in sin, the purity of the church, and the glory of God. That's a, that's a long definition. Just really quick, try to break this down. It is divine authority. We find this in Matthew 18 and Matthew 16, that Jesus grants the keys of the kingdom to his church. And so this is authority delegated to the church by Jesus, and that's given to maintain order. And so the order is to um, bring in members, but also if those members go astray, to correct them, to rebuke them. As, as sinners ourselves, we do this humbly and lovingly, but if there's ongoing unrepentant sin, we need to call that out. And we do that for the good of those caught in sin. We want them to be repenting and restored to wholeness in the church. We do it also for the purity of the church, because uh, 1 Corinthians 5 makes very clear that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, which means that the sin of an individual church member affects the entire membership. And so with that, we want to be able to um, assess and help our people to understand what's going on so they do not fall prey to sin as well. And all of this, as all of our life is, is done to the glory of God. Jeremy Kimball is our guest uh, from Cedarville University. His book is called 40 Questions About Church. And uh, we're at question number five, Jeremy. How does church membership relate to the New Covenant? This one's a very important question in my mind to understand the whole of Scripture. So uh, some people refer to this idea that the covenants uh, form the backbone of the entire storyline of the Bible. So you've got a covenant with Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and then the New Covenant. The New Covenant is found in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, Deuteronomy 10, uh, some other places referred to as well. But in Jeremiah 31, one key facet of the New Covenant in verse 34, it says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And so that idea there is that unlike the old Mosaic Covenant, where Israel was a mixed community, where there were believers and non-believers in the covenant community, in this new covenant community, it's going to be made up of, the new covenant says here in this text in Jeremiah 31, 34, of believers. Uh, they'll all know the Lord from the least to the greatest. So that means, I mean, just to get to a practical idea, because we may not get to this later on for the sake of time, practically, we are laboring to bring in members that are regenerate, that are saved, that are Christians. Because we want our churches to align with the realities of this new covenant, and the new covenant states that all that are part of this covenant will know the Lord. So this is extremely crucial in how we do our processes, our interviews, our testimonies, and our churches in terms of how we think through and assess who's coming into our membership as churches. Topic number six, is church membership biblical? This may be the most frequently asked question that I get. Even as a college professor, I have a number of students who will ask this question, do I have to join this church, and can I just attend faithfully, and that'll be okay? And So I, I give a few answers uh, to this. Uh, church membership is, is not as 
it's not as uh, um, overt as church discipline is. You can find very specific texts on discipline. But church membership is inferred everywhere in the New Testament. So just some ideas here, thinking first of uh, pastoral leadership. Think of, of pastors and churches. Um, 1 Peter 5 tells these pastors uh, to keep watch over their flock. And Hebrews thirteen seventeen is a text that tells pastors to, um, to oversee their people because they will give an account for their souls before God someday. Now, pastors understand um, they are not responsible for people in – if they're in Ohio or in, or in Florida, they're not responsible for people in Japan or South Korea or Indonesia – They're responsible for people in their particular local church in their town. And the way they know who they're responsible for is, well, who's a member of my church? Uh, Who's part of the church in that kind of level, in that kind of a way? So that's one thing to note for membership. Second, I've already stated this, but Hebrews 3 says we're called to exhort one another day after day as long as it's called today. Well, you and I could do that in terms of exhorting each other and and helping each other to grow in our faith, but most readily that's going to happen with people in our local churches that we've committed to, and they've committed to us to oversee one another and help one another in their growth. Finally, on this, there's a lot of commands in the New Testament called one another commands. So pray for one another, love one another, be devoted to one another, be patient with one another, etc., etc. Again, you can do this with other believers in various places, but the place you're going to most readily fulfill the one another commands is with local church members. So all of these infer there has to be a way in which we understand people in a church who have committed to know, okay, pastors are overseeing them, we're exhorting each other, and fulfilling one another commands to one another in those ways. And so church membership is indeed biblical. Topic number seven, how does Matthew... 16 speaks specifically to the matter of church membership. Yeah, Matthew 16 is a is a fun chapter to read through. But it, it's an interesting context where Jesus is taking his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi, a, a place outside of the, the Jewish region, uh, region of Gentiles. And there he asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And, and they respond like, well, some say John the Baptist or one of the prophets, and then he asks the question, but who do you say that I am? And this well-known verse, Peter, says, you, you are the Christ or the, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then he blesses Peter and says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. And then he says this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. One of only two instances the word church is in the gospel, by the way. So... I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he starts to charge himself to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, verse 19 is confusing. People get confused by this. The keys of the kingdom and binding and loosing, what on earth does this mean? (laughs) So the only other place we find the binding and loosing language is actually in Matthew 18, when Jesus discusses the idea of church discipline. So it seems here, Jesus is saying, I'm instilling authority in you, Peter, in you, the apostles, but also by virtue of this, Matthew 18, in the church itself, to have authority in Matthew 18 to discipline. But here in Matthew 16, it seems there's authority to preach the gospel 
to proclaim this this message of who Jesus actually is, that he is the Messiah, and that as people affirm and say, I affirm that Jesus is the Messiah, to have authority to receive them into the covenant community. So this is where we see Jesus giving authority to the church to receive people in the covenant community of the church and to be a part of this community that God has called them to. Now, Jeremy, I want you to get to this topic. How has the church practiced membership throughout its history? Yeah, and again, this is, I think, one of those things we really blessed because at times perhaps our history is a little bit more suspect than it should be in terms of church history, but it's certainly an identifying marker throughout the early church era. Uh, early on, people took membership very seriously. In fact, if you, if you get this book and have a chance to read this chapter, it's interesting, even to the degree that by the mid-2nd century, uh, there is a real degree of time that is invested in people before they can become members, even up to three years of time uh, of what's called being a catechumenate, which means that you are going through a period of fasting and prayer and study of the Word of God and learning theology and various things in order to become a fully baptized communicant member. Dr. Jeremy Kimball is our guest. we got more with Jeremy right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. Attention taxpayers, the stock market and economy continue to grow, yet countless Americans remain enslaved to the IRS. If you owe the IRS back taxes or have years of unfiled returns, you can legally resolve your tax problem through federally approved programs to give you a fresh start. Your circumstances may qualify you to have liens, levies, and wage garnishments stopped. If you can't afford to pay your back taxes, you may even qualify to have a large portion of your taxes forgiven. Community Tax has established a toll-free hotline for you to call and see if you qualify at 800-348-9815. Community Tax has helped over 40,000 people like you resolve hundreds of millions in tax debt. If you owe the IRS or have unfiled returns, you have a legal right to resolve your tax problem through federally active programs, potentially qualifying you to save hundreds or even thousands. Call the Community Tax Hotline now to see if you qualify at 800-348-9815. 800-348-9815. That's 800-348-9815. Hey, parents, check out our latest Amazing Radio deal, Half Price Orthodontics. Go right now to AmazingRadioDeals.com. AmazingRadioDeals.com. We're excited to be able to provide your kids with a big new smile, saving you thousands and putting a big smile on your face, too. But don't hesitate. Go online right now to AmazingRadioDeals.com. AmazingRadioDeals.com. No games, no gimmicks, no kidding. Orthodontics for half price. Another amazing radio deal available right now at AmazingRadioDeals.com. Amazing Radio. Radio Deals.com. 
You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Jeremy Kimball is with us from Cedarville University. His book, 40 Questions About Church. Uh, Here's question number nine, Jeremy. How does church membership relate to baptism and the Lord's Supper? Yeah, the ordinances are a really important part of any church tradition. And so as we think through membership and discipline and the ordinances, it's important to see these things as coming together as a cohesive unit. So membership is, you could compare it almost to a a wedding, or being brought into this new covenant of marriage. Membership is being brought into this new covenant of coming together in this community to live and to act and to speak in this community. Baptism is the kind of initiating sign of this new covenant that you're you're coming into this community, and publicly you're affirming your belief in Jesus, and the church is affirming your testimony of faith and saying, yes, we affirm this person's testimony, we affirm their baptism, and we now affirm their membership. So those are tightly tethered ideas in terms of membership and baptism, because that's the initiating of one's membership in the community. And then the Lord's Supper is uh, the, the renewing sign of this new covenant, where we get to gather and we get to celebrate. Uh, Jesus tells us to celebrate what he has accomplished in his death and in his resurrection. So as members, we gather, we take bread and the cup, and we remember Christ's body broken and his blood shed for us. And in that, we celebrate the gospel together again, and we affirm again, we are fellow believers, we are fellow members, and we are rejoicing over the work that Christ has done in our lives and on our behalf. So with membership and and the Lord's Supper and baptism, there's a beautiful symmetry and a beautiful partnership that shows how we uh, can live together as God's people. Question number 10, how is membership related to making disciples? Well, again, defining terms. So membership is, again, that mutual commitment to oversee and be overseen in one's discipleship. So then the question is, well, what's discipleship? Um, And that can be defined in many ways. One way that I like to say this is that discipleship is helping others uh, to learn from Jesus in order to live, love, and lead like Jesus. So you want to learn from Jesus to live, love, and lead like Jesus. That's that's discipleship. We're helping others to do just that. So membership, discipleship, the way in which we see disciples grown is through them coming into our churches, and then part of our commitment to them is to help them grow in their faith by teaching and by example. So we get a chance to do classes, perhaps small groups, or one-on-one kind of discipleship, but it's not just taught, it's also caught. So as members, we are in one another's homes, we observe one another's marriages and families and how one does their job and their recreation, and in that, as members, we can learn from one another how to be a faithful disciple of Jesus. So the local church is this incubator for discipleship. Uh, Question 11, how is membership helpful for the leaders of the church? Quite simply, uh, membership helps leaders know who they are responsible for. 
They can simply know I'm responsible for these people, not those who are across town or across the state or across the country or the world. These are the people that I will give an account to God for, and I can focus here and be able to really uh, expend my energy and efforts on them as we go forward. Now I want you to move to the next question, number 12. What is the process of church membership? If this is highly debatable, uh, people are going to differ on this particular question. Some would say it's very informal. They would say after a service is done, a person could walk forward and talk to the pastor and express uh, their desire to join the membership, and the the pastor could announce this person wants to join, and they're part of the church, all the way to being very, very formal in structure. If membership is related to the New Covenant, and I believe that it is, then I think some structures need to be put in place that would just offer wisdom for pastors and other members to be able to do this in a prudent manner. So I think that a, a class could be of benefit, whether that's you know a one-on-one with a pastor or pastors, or it's a large group class, if it's multiple weeks, if it's one Saturday morning, or whatever it is, you won't be able to know. This is who we are, what we do, how we operate as a church, our leadership structure, all those things. You also then, I think even more importantly, want to get one-on-one time or one-on-two time with a couple with that couple or that person to say, who are you? What's your testimony of faith? Can you articulate the gospel for me? Um, What churches have you been a part of in the past? What ministries do you desire to be a part of? How do you want to serve in this church? Uh, Just to ask those questions to assess, first of all, that they know the gospel and believe the gospel, and then secondly, they want to be contributing members to the church. Then they've got to be brought forward in some way to the church and, and affirmed by them to say, we have heard their testimony, whether it's live or a video of some kind, or, or read on paper, and we affirm their testimony. We say that we want them to join and to affirm them in coming into membership. And now we're at question number 13. Does membership look the same in every culture and context? Yeah, good question. That actually was raised two days ago. I was talking about this to an individual about this very idea. If, if there's a, a house church in Iran, uh, and we're at a church of a thousand people here in Ohio, would it be the same exact thing? And the answer is probably no, because there's going to be more flexibility and more knowability of the people in a house church versus a church of a thousand. But even so, the, the principle still remains that those who join this church will be members of the New Covenant via faith in Jesus Christ. So whether it's small or large, contextually, those things may differ in terms of how you bring them in, because you might know them much more readily with a house church of 10 as opposed to a 1,000. But there must be some means of assessing this person knows Jesus, and we want to welcome them in because of that. My guest is Jeremy Kimball. We're talking about his book, 40 Questions About Church. Uh, Here's question 14, Jeremy. Why do some churches not believe in church membership? I think some people would say, I I don't really affirm this idea of membership, because, again, it's not explicitly spelled out in Scripture. But we, we could say as well, we can't find the word Trinity in the Bible, and yet we, we certainly affirm Trinitarian theology. And I think the thing can be said for membership, that there is inferences throughout the New Testament that affirm these things, and so we can look at it and say, though not overt, we can find the patterns of this in the New Testament. I think some other churches just 
don't want to have the formality of church membership. And I understand their, their hesitation. I just want to say again, what's your means of making sure that those you're overseeing are truly in the faith, truly know Jesus Christ, and are walking in those ways? Uh, how, how are you going to connect discipline, which is overtly biblical, uh, to the people in your church if they're not committed members? How, how does that all work? And so I, I see these things as a piece and connecting, and therefore would encourage pastors to think about that, that those two ideas. Now let's go to this topic. It's uh, number 15. What kind of church should someone join? Very important question, especially in our very mobile society that we often move from place to place. So a few points I have here in this chapter is that people should look for, I think, a church that is first marked. And what I mean by that is historically there have been marks of the church. So the right preaching of the Word of God, the right administration of the ordinances, the right administration of discipline. There's a, there's a commitment to the Word of God and a commitment to organizing our lives around those things. And there's, there's other marks you could say as well. The church is confessional, right, that it has a confession of faith, that it is convictional in that kind of a way, um, that it's missional, that it's looking to seek out others to know the gospel. Um, and that it's going forward in those kinds of ways. So you want a church that's marked, you want a church that's on mission, you just said that it's missional, it's looking to locally and globally get the gospel to a people that do not know the gospel, and they're proclaiming in those ways. So a church that's marked, that's on mission, and finally a church that's ministering, a church that is, uh, in a healthy way, serving and looking to help others in their faith and go forward in various ways. We're all gifted by the Spirit, so a church that allows you to work in those giftings. So marked on mission and ministering. Jeremy Kimball has been our guest. Uh, we've got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Kevin Picorni. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design right here, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Well, thanks for joining us, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, Ruth Tucker from Grand Rapids, Michigan, gave us a wonderful, wonderful look at Katie Luther in her new book. And then we moved to Cedarville, Ohio, and uh, Jeremy Kimball was with us uh, talking about his book, 40 Questions About Church. Uh, Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, check out my latest book. It's called The Success Intersection. It's about uh, when your greatest talent intersects with your strongest passion. Well, you found your sweet spot in life. And that's where you want to hang out. That's where you want to live. That's where you want to get paid every two weeks right there 
in that sweet spot. It's in uh, bookstores and Amazon.com, always a wonderful way to order books. Well, have a great day tomorrow with your family in church and then a good week ahead. And then we're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.